This is the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa. In this edition today, our Bulletin of Church News. Today we shall close with a segment dedicated to the family. My name is Kanyanta Godfrey Kampamba. Pope Francis prayed the midday Sunday Angelus with the faithful gathered in St. Peter's Square. And as is tradition, just before praying the Angelus, the Holy Father reflected on the gospel reading of the day taken from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39, which recounts the story of Jesus, which portrays him as always being on the move or in movement. Evangelo della liturgia ci mostra Gesù in movimento. Pope Francis began by looking at the person of Jesus who, according to the gospel, after his preaching in the synagogue, goes to Simon Peter's house where he heals his mother-in-law. Then towards the evening he goes out again towards the city gates where he meets many sick and possessed people and heals them. The morning after, Jesus gets up early and goes out to withdraw in prayer and finally he sets out again across Galilee. So su questo continuo movimento di Gesù che ci dice una cosa importante su Dio Let us look at this continued movement of Jesus the Pope said adding that it tells us something important about God and at the same time challenges us with some questions on our faith He explained the fact that Jesus goes towards wounded humanity and shows us the face of the Father It may be that within us there is still the idea of a distant called God indifferent to our faith. On the contrary, the gospel lets us see the fact that Jesus, after teaching in the synagogue, goes out so that the world he has preached may reach, touch, and heal people. Così facendo, ci rivela che Dio non è un padrone distaccato che ci parla dall'alto. Al contrario, è un padre pieno di amore che si fa vicino. By doing this, the Pope went on, Jesus reveals to us that God is not a detached master who speaks to us from on high. On the contrary, Jesus is a father filled with love who makes himself close to us, who visits our homes, who wants to save and liberate, heal from every ill of the body and spirit. God, the Pope said, is always close to us. Guardiamo allora il cammino di Gesù. E ricordiamoci che il nostro primo lavoro spirituale è questo, abbandonare il Dio che pensiamo di conoscere e convertirci oggi giorno al Dio che Gesù ci presenta nel Vangelo, che è il Padre dell'amore e il Padre della compassione, il Padre vicino, compassionevole e tenero. The Pope then spoke of the behavior of God, which he said could be described in three words, closeness, compassion and tenderness. God makes himself close to accompany us tenderly and to forgive us. This is God's attitude, the Holy Father retorted. In conclusion, Pope Francis urged the faithful to embrace their first spiritual task of abandoning the God we think we know 
and converting every day to the loving, compassionate God that Jesus presents to us in the gospel. At the end of the Angelus, the Pope greeted the pilgrims present in St. Peter's Square and remarked on a number of issues, including the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. I continue to follow with great sorrow what is happening in Israel and Palestine, the Pope said. Linda Bodoni has this report. Pope Francis on Sunday sent greetings to millions of people who are preparing to celebrate the Lunar New Year. He upheld the sacredness of life. He appealed for prayers for victims of forest fires in Chile and looked ahead to the World Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Human Trafficking. And as always, he did not neglect to appeal for prayers for those who are suffering from war in many places across the planet, remarking on how it is the responsibility of all to work for peace. Mentre invoco su tutti la benedizione del Signore, invito a pregare per la pace. Speaking after the recitation of the Angelus Prayer, the Pope invoked the Lord's blessing upon all and he invited believers to pray for peace, for which he said the world yearns so much and which today, more than ever, is endangered in many places. It is not the responsibility of a few, but of the entire human family. Let us all cooperate to build it with gestures of compassion and courage, he said. Cooperiamo tutti a costruirla con gesti di compassione e di coraggio. And in particular, he pleaded, let us continue to pray for the people suffering, especially in Ukraine, Palestine and Israel. in Ukraine, in Palestine, in Israel. I'm Linda Bordoni. Pope Francis has written a message to mark the fifth anniversary of the Abu Dhabi document on human fraternity for world peace and living together. The declaration was co-authored by Pope Francis and the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, Ahmed Al-Tayeb, on 4th February 2019. It is a model for compassion and human solidarity, which urges religious and political leaders to bring an end to wars, conflicts and environmental destruction. Pope Francis, in his anniversary message, highlights how the absence of fraternal solidarity in today's world causes environmental destruction and social degradation, and he calls on society to spread the values of social friendship. Lisa Zengarini has this report. In his message, Pope Francis warmly congratulated the organizers for the place and the theme chosen at a time when global fraternity and coexistence face challenges from injustices and wars, which he reiterated are always a defeat for humanity. He emphasized the importance of the Abu Dhabi document becoming a subject of research and reflection in educational institutions to foster new generations committed to peace-building and social justice. The message remarked that the first cause of the evil of war is the lack of knowing and understanding others and underscored the importance of building mutual trust and changing negative perceptions of the other who is our brother in humanity to initiate peace process is acceptable for all, hence the crucial importance of education. Peace without an education based on respect and understanding of others holds no value, the Pope stressed. 
Pope Francis went on to highlight the importance of taking time to listening to the other and the role of genuine dialogue in understanding different perspectives. Indeed, the lack of listening is the second trap that hinders fraternity, he said. Creating spaces to welcome different opinions is not a waste of time, but a gain in humanity, the Pope insisted. Finally, Pope Francis advocated for an education in intellectual flexibility, aiming to make individuals more flexible, open and fraternal. Bringing his message to a close, the Pope urged participants not to let the dream of fraternity in peace remain confined fine to words and encouraged them to embrace dialogue in all its richness, cultivating flexibility and listening to the world. I am Lisa Zengarini. The Vatican on Saturday published a letter written by Pope Francis and addressed to what the Pope himself calls his Jewish brothers and sisters. In the letter, the Holy Father says that his heart is torn at the unprecedented violence engulfing the Holy Land since the Hamas attack and the power of so much division and so much hatred. Pope Francis has particularly lamented the terrible increase in attacks against Jews around the world that has taken place since the outbreak of the Israel Hamas war last October. Deborah Lubav reports. Addressed to Karma Ben Yohanan, a theologian of Jewish-Christian dialogue, the Pope invited everyone to work for peace in the Holy Land. My heart is close to you, to the Holy Land, to all the peoples who live there, Israelis and Palestinians, he said, adding, I pray that the desire for peace will prevail over all. I want you to know that you are close to my heart and to the heart of the Church. In his letter dated the 2nd of February, the Pope recalled that the Holy Land is unfortunately not excluded from the turmoil that grips the world and which constitutes, he said, a true world war fought piecemeal which he noted is causing widespread apprehension and pain. Pope Francis noted that the ongoing war has produced attitudes of division in global public opinion, which sometimes results in forms of anti-Semitism and anti-Judaism. I can only reiterate, the Pope said, that the relationship that binds us to you is particular and singular, without ever obscuring, of course, the relationship that the Church has with others and the commitment toward them. The path that the Church has begun with you, the Pope said, rejects any form of anti-Semitism and anti-Judaism, unequivocally condemning manifestations of hatred toward Jews and Judaism as a sin against God. The Pope expressed his hopes for an increasingly closer collaboration to eradicate these phenomena. Referring to the recent letter delivered to him by the rabbis and scholars of Jewish-Christian dialogue, the Pope said he greatly appreciated it. I feel, he noted, the desire to assure you of my closeness and my affection. I embrace each of you, and in particular those who are consumed by anguish. He added that together with you, we mourn the dead, the wounded, and the traumatized, begging God the Father to intervene and put an end to the war and hatred. The Holy Father said he understands that in these times of desolation, it is difficult to see a future horizon in which light replaces darkness, in which friendship replaces hatred. But he concluded his letter expressing his hope that all might work for peace. We still have much to do together to ensure that the world we leave to those who come after us is better. But I am sure that we can continue to collaborate together for this purpose. Expressing her gratitude to the Pope, Karma Ben Yohanan welcomed Pope Francis's invitation. 
She said, we are ready to collaborate so that hatred and violence are eliminated and the doors are opened to true peace for all of us who live in this land, that is, Jews, Christians, and Muslims. She said, we join Christians in the belief that religions can be a creative force capable of opening paths that would otherwise remain closed. Two religious priests have been kidnapped in Nigeria. Father Kenneth Kanwa and Father Jude Nwachuku were abducted from the rector of St. Vincent de Paul Parish of the Catholic Diocese of Pangshin on Thursday, February 1st. The provincial secretary of the Congregation of Missionaries, Sons of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, also known as Claretian Missionaries, announced the kidnapping of the two priests in a statement issued on Friday, 2nd February. The religious missionary order is now appealing for the safety and release of its members, saying, We solicit your prayers at this challenging time for their safe and quick release from captivity. Nigeria has been battling with a surge of violence orchestrated by gangs whose members carry out indiscriminate attacks, kidnapping for ransom, and in some cases, killing. The West African nation has also been experiencing the Boko Haram insurgency since 2009, a group that allegedly aims to turn Nigeria, which is Africa's most populous nation, into an Islamic country. Namibia's president, Hage Gengob, has died at the age of 82. He met his death early on Sunday while receiving medical treatment at a hospital in the capital, Vindok. His wife and children were by his side. According to Vice President Nangolo Mbomba, a veteran of the country's independence struggle, Gengob had been diagnosed with cancer and revealed the details to the public last month. Mbomba has since been sworn in as his replacement. He will serve in the role until elections due later this year. You are tuned to the Daily Africa service of Vatican Radio. And now our feature, Family. Church in Africa as a family of God. It's people, challenges, values, and hopes. My name is Father Paul Samasumo with your program, Family. Professor Dr. Celestino Victor Mosoma is a Mozambican who is an assistant professor of contemporary political doctrine at the University of Rome, Tor Vegata. As a philosopher and academician, we thought this week would invite him to share with us some of his views and work centered around the African philosophy of Ubuntu. As a professor at a famous university in Rome, Tor Vegata University. You have written articles, books on Ubuntu. What exactly is Ubuntu? Ubuntu literally is I am because we are. And in African way, is a form of to see the world is like a, a humanism. African humanists were people living together and trying to help one another. And, and also, uh, Professor, is Ubuntu still necessary in our world today? Because it's a way of life that Africans have had especially, 
uh, as an old ancient African practice of being together, as you have said, is it still necessary in our age today? As he said in our conference at the Urbanian University 2015, a philosopher, John Njue, without Ubuntu, there is no Africa. So I can say in the same way, without Ubuntu, there is no the new world today. Ubuntu is saying friendship and humanity and justice, all form of to be together, which is possible with equality, freedom, that African society can help the world today, which can help the world to be peaceful. Um, and that is important what you say about peace, because in Africa, maybe also in elsewhere, but we have a number of conflicts. How can Ubuntu help bring about peace? Ubuntu has was used in South Africa to restorative justice was something that helped to think another exists, the alterity, the another person is like me. We have the same thing which we call in humanity. So the problem of actually in Africa is individualism, is neoliberalism. So we import democracy for Western, which we cannot and understand in our context, African context. So is why I'm speaking of a political contextual vision, which I call democracy, meaning the African inclusive democracy. is a vision of a traditional vision of Africa. What is important is the values. It's not who is leading is government in government, but how is leading? How is he taking on the, the, the nation? Do you think our African politicians can accept democracy, as you have put it? I think it's a challenge. A problem of African countries is when someone go in the power, try to... Uh, to uh, make a conflict, political conflict with another country. We must change this mentality in Africa and trying to, uh, to live in friendly. Uh, and if we wanted to go in the new form of Africa or in the way of the Mobuntokras, we must change our institution. We must uh, try to introduce the spirit of check and balance of powers and trying to um, make accountability and responsibility in the public sphere. If in the public sphere we don't understand we are servers of the people, we, are, we cannot change our continent. Both of the institutions in Africa are either weak, public institutions, government institutions. They are weak or they have been killed by politicians. How can we revive institutions in Africa, not individuals, but institutions. The biggest week in Africa is an anthropological crisis. The leaders are looking their interest. So if we, we try to change the mentality of egocentrism and we, we change for 
the idea of the common good is possible to change our institution. So we we must make the uh, constitutional review. Professor, you have spoken here about demobuntocracy, and it's a term that you yourself, I think you have invented it because I've never come ag- ag- across it elsewhere. Does it mean democracy on its own has failed Africa now that we need demobuntocracy, as you put it? So demobuntocracy is a theory which I, I improve, which we can understand is possible to build a new form of democracy. How we know democracy, the way the word democracy from Greek, ancient Greek, so it's not African word, but the spirit of democracy we had in African culture. This is the biggest point, a deeply point which we we must understand today. Nelson Mandela, in his autobiography, said when he was young, he saw people speaking and discussing in in his culture. And everyone had the time to speak until to arrive at the consensus. What we see today is leaders during the campaign, they say things that when they're in the power, they, they didn't applicate what they said. But most of our universities, our schools, our colleges, they are teaching mostly what you say, Greek democracy, not an African version of democracy, the way you put it where we have consensus and so on. What can we do to change also the mentality of our education system? Today, I think the the way is what Professor Ngungi Watsiongo, a Kenyan philosopher and writer, calling decolonizing the mind. So we must decolonize the mind. What we are teaching is real necessary for Africa. What we are writing is is something that can promote our countries, our uh, our cultures, and the vision. Or we can say it's not for only for one people or Western people. Then. The science, uh, science is universal, so it's possible to write African things that can be scientific thing. So we cannot think when I'm writing, uh, I must write uh, like the knowledge of country or because Western people can can understand I'm a scientist. So what is important is how we can. Um, right in African context. So the first thing is decolonizing the mind of African people because we have a complex of inferiority in this vision of Eurocentrism. Lastly, Professor, uh, what about from a cultural point of view? If you look at the young people in Africa today, they want to dress like American, like Hollywood, they are not very keen about their own culture. So you are speaking about the importance of valuing African systems, valuing Ubuntu, valuing our way of doing things. 
Yet the reality is that young people in Africa want to be like American gangster, uh, hips, hope stars. I can say also uh, African young people want to, to, to see the football for Western people, for Real Madrid, or Chelsea, Manchester, so even Milan no, in Italy. So the biggest problem, how to convince the young people to improve our cultures. The problem uh, is uh, in the school, the primary school until university, we continue to teach the uh, the Western knowledge, which you, uh, what is coming from Western is good. What is product in Africa is bad. This mentality we must change because we are selling our, ourselves. Is why in the second step I published now the the new books, the critical, the criticism of African economy. The first step is a demobuntocracy. The second step is economobuntocracy. We must change our mentality of economies. So what is from Africa is a good. What we, we must look is the African symbolism. It's not, this is a, a colonialism mentality. We have many things good. We have the good beach in Africa, even in the Indian Ocean in Mozambique, we have a good beach. For Africa, we must change our mentality of complex of inferiority. But if you want to change this problem, it is mean we must go to teach in our countries in Africa in, in what young people can and understand and try to change in a criticism way. If we don't criticize many things in Africa, we continue with a, a neocolonialism, we cannot change Africa. This we must start from public sphere and uh, in the social way. First of all, we must understand economics. The neoliberalism is killing Africa. So we must try to improve the, the African product, try to, to formalize the, what we're calling vernacular economy, informal economy, and try to organize our, our house. Mozambican academician and philosopher, Professor Dr. Celestino Victor Musoma on Family. You have been listening to Family with Father Paul Samasumo. This is the Africa Service of Vatican Radio and my name is Kanyanta Godfrey Kampamba. We shall be back with you again at the same time tomorrow. Praised be Jesus Christ. Laudetu Jesus Christus. <laughs> Amen.